0: For February 19th, 2018, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 503, The Killmonger Doctrine. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are watching uh, what interests us and talking about it together, listening to what interests us and talking about it together, reading what interests us, and are you sensing a theme, talking about it together. I'm your host, Matt Rather. I am here with my fellow uh, overthinker, Pete Fenzel. Hello. How are you? Pete, tell them who you are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I am Fenzillion at Twitter, as it were, <laughs> and uh, and of course, uh, there's nothing to talk about this week but Black Panther, uh, which is opening to incredible business and uh, a movie that I think we all liked very much. A eh, spoiler, blanket spoiler alert for all of uh, for all of Black Panther. You should go see it if you haven't yet, and then uh, listen to this episode. And as the nation of Wakanda opens, uh, to the world. We open this podcast to our friends, uh, who we saw the movie with, um, right here with me in Los Angeles. I have our good friends, Matt Belenke. Hello, Matt. Hey, auntie. And Josh McNeil. Hey, Josh. Hello, colonizer. (laughs) They, They are, uh, uh, you know, um... Sometime Overthinking a podcast guests. And uh, Pete, you saw the movie with your friend Shion in Boston, huh? I did, yes. Big crew. It was and, great. And uh, she will join us in just a second to talk about Black Panther. But before we get to that, before we talk about that, anything that any reasonable person would care about in this film, Pete, I feel like I need, you to, I need to give you a minute. Because yeah. uh, this film featured some cars,
1: Yes, and I feel like these cars need to go with some mention because as you might have known from watching the big game aka the Super Bowl there is a very special car in this movie it is called the Lexus LC 500 and it is Lexus's new $100,000 luxury sports coupe it is a very fancy very snazzy sort of car of specifically the sort that Lexus specifically and the Toyota Motor Corporation in general does not have a reputation for making and uh, as such the Toyota, of course, known for making very reliable cars, making for quality cars, definitely making global cars, not particularly known for making exciting sports cars. And so trying to launch this particular car required a special occasion. And it seems like the Black Panther movie is that occasion. And what I would really love to point out is that this, the car chases in South Korea, in which the Lexus... LC 500 is heavily featured, also featured Toyota pickup trucks, which are the world standard. The Hiluxes, the Tacomas. These are truly global vehicles that have been around forever. They last forever. They represent one side of what Toyota is for people. And here is an opportunity through the Lexus LC 500 to show the side of what it might mean to people in the future. And I think that. One topic we might get into later is talking about kind of duality and different kinds of representations of things. Uh, and and it is interesting to see it even baked into the cars that are chosen for this movie. I do believe that Martin Freeman drove a Land Rover Velar, which was not on theme, though. So he needs to get with the program. <laughs> which one was the Lexus? The Lexus is the car that was driven holographically by gotcha. the Black Panther's sister and that the Black Panther was riding on top of. Gotcha. Uh, and it's this sort of boss sports coupe. It actually comes in a hybrid. One little known fact, it is a big deal these days to see hybrid technology application in sports cars because it gives you that low end torque to fill the power band before those engines really start revving. So all of the really top sports cars now are incorporating increasingly hybrid technology. So what I'm saying is that this is a car of the future against cars of the past but both uh, enter into the chase with sort of a comparable degree of uh of cred and glory and so in that sense i would rate the car branding in this movie pretty high uh higher indeed than the audi r8 driven by iron man which is also a nice little bit of stunt casting trying to create sort of new niches for cars in the marvel universe hmm. so so they...
2: wait, hold what's especially special about the audi <laughs> driven by iron man Well, okay, so you you had to ask now, you know, now now it's yeah, now
0: there's 50 minutes of the podcast. I'm, I'm gonna run to the bathroom, you guys just talk. Okay,
1: okay. So, the point is that Audi is also not a car brand that is known necessarily for making uh high octane sports cars, but it did buy its way in, I believe, by buying Lamborghini. Uh, but the Audi R8 is known widely as a kind of livable supercar. Of a, of a sort that is uh, more civilized, perhaps, than the kind of rough and tumble uh, Italian sports cars and German sports cars of uh, of the past, and that's kind of what its reputation is—kind sort of technologically advanced, uh, livable day to day in a way that something like a you know Ferrari four five eight might not be. Uh, a little bit and a little bit more affordable, but the idea that a Silicon Valley billionaire, which is kind of the superpower that Tony Stark steps into gradually in terms of leaving Mm -hmm. arms dealing and going into sort of technology as his as his industry, that this is the supercar for him does kind of redefine the Audi brand, I think, in terms of how it relates to movies, because you have all these great movie cars, you know, great movie Ferraris, great movie Dodge Challengers driven by Vin Diesel. So Marvel seems to be using its car movie cred to give a leg up to Brands that aren't inhabiting a space like that's sort of what they're selling is it's like you want to get into this segment you want to make a name for yourself and you don't have a name for yourself in this segment we are the place to place your product and that's what I gather from things like the uh, the Audi and the Lexus in Marvel. High end, of course, as opposed to something like Fast and the Furious, where it's do you have a car that is already known for occupying its market niche, and do you want to put the biggest tires on it you've ever seen and have it go the fastest it's ever gone? Right? Is it are you are you speaking full throatedly to what you already are, or are you looking to redefine yourself into what you might be? Which I guess is sort of the difference between an action hero and a superhero when you get right down to
3: it. Which is why we're going to see these smart car Ant Man tie in in the Ant Man and <laughs> the mm-hmm. uh, the, so, so are they throwing shade at Bugatti in that last scene, Pete? No, they're celebrating they're Bugatti. Celebrating. I think the kids love Bugatti. I, we, we, uh, my fiance
1: and I were at the uh, New England Auto Show last month and saw a Bugatti in person, and everyone was crowded around it to look at it. Uh, a Bugatti has arrived, right? I don't think they were insulting the Bugatti and by saying that it does also kind of look a little bit like a Chiron or a Veyron, so it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a uh, baseless comparison. To call it a Bugatti spaceship, <laughs> just based on its speed, it's also sort of configured that way, too. All right. Well, cool. guys,
0: we did a great job keeping this segment to three minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just get excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. We're joined now by our friend Shion, who is a uh, Nigerian-American, Boston-based uh, comedian. Uh, Shion, please save us from all this car talk. What did you think of the movie?
4: Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I was really happy with the way it just, uh, started right off the bat. There's no, like the, you know, the beginning portion where before there were any credits, it just jumped right in to the story and let you know what was going on. Um, and it was really, really beautiful to see the kind of dreamscape worlds and the, um, the, the afterlife portion where they were kind of commuting with the, the past Panthers, um, but I think my absolute favorite part of it, outside of the moment where um, <laughs> Adora takes her wig off in part of her fight and flings it into someone's face, which I will have a gif of as soon as I can, <laughs> um, I really enjoyed seeing the Afro- Afro-futuristic world of Wakanda with you know high-speed trains moving around and everyone is uh, using really interesting technology, but also just super African. Like there are so many brilliant. Ankara fashions that I saw and colors and everything. And it was just really cool to see those two things side by side, because a lot of the times we don't see that even if it does exist in the current existing world.
0: Yeah. The, right. the design of the city was a really, was a really cool thing. The way it, the way it combined different elements, uh, the way it defined it combined different elements of the, from the, like the very natural world to the kind of very future high tech world. Right.
4: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh,
0: so that the the narration at the beginning, I think, is a good place to start because that was who was telling that story and to whom was that Michael B. Jordan's character as a child, uh, Eric Killmonger, hearing that right? That was
4: uh, New Joe. No, and, uh, no, it
0: wasn't. <laughs> who was who was talking to who? That was uh,
4: that was T'Chaka. Ch- 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 the that was T'Chaka talking, answer, to, talking, talking to talking to T'Challa. young T'Challa. Yeah so um okay. the the prote- the main protagonist was so it are five?
0: Well, that's so that that was another thing that we were that we were talking talking about. And we because we were we were sort of wondering if it could have been uh, uh, Killmonger. Killmonger said Eric, I think, is his first name, right? right? If if it could have been uh, Eric Killmonger is the father. Uh, hearing the story of Wakanda from his father in Oakland growing up, but it could just as easily have been. Uh, T'Chaka telling young T'Challa as a boy, uh, the story and the like. The five protagonist um, structure <laughs> of this that you're talking about is definitely like is definitely an interesting thing. Like Pete, uh, other than T'Challa and Killmonger, were there? I mean, who who did you see who had a kind of hero's journey type arc across this movie?
1: Oh gosh, well you. I mean, I think T'Chaka's sister to uh, child's mm-hmm. sisters totally stole the show right shuri. as the as the alfred in q uh with her spectacular uh, performance and her energy uh what was that character's name again off the i gotta get a list up so that i can make sure i uh, get everybody
4: shuri um, yeah yeah you yeah. are yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah definitely and we, there's also the journey of you know the ex who I guess we can assume at the end is uh, re-involved romantically with the Black Panther. Is that safe (laughs) to say that Nakia is back in the fold? Because they leave it somewhat ambiguous how Nakia and the Black Panther uh, separated earlier on in their history, but now they're back together again, it seems, or at very least in some level of physical intimacy.
4: I did like that they they didn't do... I mean, they did the backstory of the world of Wakanda just to kind of catch everyone up. But they started us right in the middle of the story of those two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this jumped us right back into them trying to reconcile. We don't know why they broke up. Probably has to do with her not wanting to live there anymore. Um, but it, it, it was a little bit of a question mark. But since at the very end of the movie, um, uh, spoiler alert, when they have the after-credit scene and you see that... Chikala is planning to do something in Oakland. He mentions her having a, a part in that. So it seems like she might still be around.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting to think about the relationships that come together and come apart. Mm-hmm. And and I think like when you're talking about the traditional African dress and the technology as things that aren't usually seen together. That's sort of something that's coming apart and coming together too to an extent it seems. Like there's a there's a reconciliation in the relationship between perceptions of Africa and perceptions of the future, that seems sort of like the reconciliation across the various sorts of marriages and parent-child relationships that also get kind of torn apart and put back together mm-hmm. over the course of it. It's pretty interesting, I thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's also there's also a um, there's also a story of kind of like constructing and maintaining a polity among mm-hmm. sort of different traditional groups, right? Like and and kind of balancing balancing people's interests and points of view, uh, from the, you know, from the kind of historically isolationist to the, um, you know, to the more, uh, to the more outward facing. And like the, the, the story of sort of Wakanda kind of looking in, looking out, kind of closing off, opening Mm up, um, is also mirrored kind of in the relationships between the different, uh, the different kind of, uh, what the different kind of classes of society that it seems like there's like a, a shepherd class. I think this is probably well-developed yeah. in, in the comic that the, kind of the backstories of all the different um, of the all five the tribes
4: uh, that come together, the five mm-hmm. tribes
0: with each, each of whom had uh, a leader on the council.
4: Yes. mean um, Except for the um, M'Bakus tribe, the, the um, the ape worshiping tribe that was in the mountains kind of neglecting to stay with the rest of the crew. Uh, I thought that was interesting. It seemed like they all seemed to work together, though. Um, it's really interesting to think about how that type of division um, of just not so much labor, but just how we see each other is different in one way or the other. Uh, affected how Wakanda treated people throughout their history. Uh, It was interesting to me, too, in that flashback sequence where, you know, a young boy is being told a story by his father and is talking about how Wakanda got to be what it is and how they chose to either not be aware of and not see or they uh, actively ignored what was happening to other people around them and that, it was a nice closing of that circle where at the end of the day, they address that and and hopefully will make strides towards that in this, in this particular universe. True. Yeah. had a really
1: interesting, Oh, go ahead.
4: You had sort of
3: Nakia pushing, she was out there trying to help people Mm -hmm. solve problems in like relatively nonviolent ways. Um, She was mad when the black Panther drops under as violent. And then you have Killmonger pushing the sort of like, more George Bush interventionism
0: of like, we're going to go and blow stuff up.
2: You're going to actually destabilize all the governments mm-hmm. that, that we don't like.
0: Yeah. It's the kill. It's the killmonger doctrine of preemptive war. Right.
3: Right. right.
2: Yeah.
0: But, but it's also the more, key, uh, more
3: Obama approach of like, you know, <laughs>
0: coalition building. Exactly. Yeah. And well, and I, yeah,
4: I was just going to say it was interesting to see that uh, Wakabi Daniel Kalua's character also had a similar view, um, and I think just for the respect of the throne, he wasn't going to push it. But he had spoken to Chakala's character very early on, uh, saying that he wanted to go and clean up the world. Um, and when Killmonger came in, you know, earned his respect very quickly. He was very ready to jump on that particular task and, and work towards that in a more violent way. So it, it really makes one think after after the events that happened in that movie and the kind of unrest that we see um, get caused and resolved, what happens next after that? Because I can't imagine it's a, a smooth transition back to normalcy after people are essentially fighting their neighbors
0: no it's well yeah it's and it's in that that great sort of performance from Chadwick Boseman at the end when you know whoever the jerk was at the United Nations is like what could Wakanda possibly have to offer the world and just that little (laughs) smirk that plays across his face right but you know right before you cut to the cut to the end of the movie there's so much possibility Uh, Mm -hmm. there's so much possibility in that and it's very I think it's a strong filmmaking choice that it's kind of left to your imagination because I think everybody kind of imagines that Yes. <laughs> Uh, in a slightly different way, right? Like, does so he what, what the response? If he just like pushes a button and starts levitating, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> if you pu- right. If he pushes a button and like everybody's chronic illness in the room is cured all of a sudden, <laughs> like that, you know, he pushes a button and like incredible spaceships. You know, I I circled the parking lot for like thirty minutes trying to find a parking space for this movie in L.A. I was mm. you know it was opening weekend. A lot we went to an yeah. IMAX theater. A lot of people wanted to go, so I thought that the Maybe the the biggest achievement of Wakanda was that there was ample spaceship parking uh, <laughs> wherever wherever you went, especially around the vibranium mine. No one was ever like just circling <laughs> looking for a space. They all had uh, they all had a place that they could go. So, I mean the 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 Killmonger, Killmonger uh is an interesting character. Do we want to do a round Barry. on do a round <laughs> on him? Yeah. Yeah, but sure, he's, he's, al- he's
2: almost a tragic hero, right? Because it's, if you look at the movie from his mm-hmm. perspective, he has almost a Batman origin story, right? Where his dad is killed by these by these powerful beings that he barely understands, and he spends his whole life training and striving and like plotting this this rise from nothing to the point where he's mm-hmm. such a powerful warrior, and he he learns. And they also like slip in, even though like it barely. I, I don't even think it impacts the plot. Didn't he go to MIT? Yeah. Yes. Right. I mentioned. They, they mention, although like like it's not necessary to what his character does at all, but like oh, by the way, he's a genius. Um,
3: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And you almost it feel. <laughs> I mean, and the interesting thing is that like what he wants and and what but by the end almost all the characters are in agreement that this insular this old school view where like wakanda is going to be this this society that just looks inward isn't going to work anymore everyone sort of agrees and so it's it's almost that what's so sad is like at the end when when they're they're fighting to the death it's it's all they're fighting about is tactics right they're not even fighting about like what the what their their
3: their mission what their goals are anymore?
4: Mm. Yeah, I would say, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's. I would I would agree that it's. A, it, it almost feels like we're talking about semantics. Um, the way in which we're doing this is what is causing the issue. And I personally was a little disappointed um, that the possibility of having him come back was taken away because I think it was a very interesting character and it's. It's kind of like an accident of of birth situation where if he had been in another place in time, it would have it might have ended up very differently for him.
1: Yeah, this struck me really hard because it felt really similar to Huey Newton, the real founder of the Black Panthers, him and Bobby Seale. Right, where it's you could say a lot of the same things about Huey Newton. I think in that you know he has a PhD in social philosophy. He's a very intellectual guy, and, and also a very strong person, a person capable of great violence, uh, and and also a, a charismatic leader with vision, and somebody who really was tragically taken away mm-hmm. from life in various ways. Right, because for those for those unfamiliar, you know Huey Newton is uh, this you know Titanic figure in the late sixties in uh, you know black liberation and in organizing the self defense organization of the real black panthers and then he gets uh, he gets put on trial for for shooting a cop and he gets into prison and when he comes out of prison he is transformed somewhat and he's clearly gone through something pretty rough and he gets deeper involved in drugs and is eventually yeah. murdered yeah and and i really felt like killmonger was a really specific take on huey newton specifically because huey newton was killed in oakland in 1989 and there's mm. this idea that Kill, that Killmonger is kind of carrying forward Huey Newton's particular sort of rage and his sort of that violence is a necessity. Violence against the system is a necessity. Uh, that, that, and it's sort of like he is Huey Newton. He's also sort of the legacy of Huey Newton. His father is kind of Huey Newton. I mean, for those who are just familiar with it through, like, Tupac, you know, <laughs> in the first verse of Changes, he's talking about, you know, it's time to fight back. That's what Huey shed, Huey, Huey said, two shots in the dark. Now Huey's dead. And it's tragic. It's really tragic. Yeah, uh, that Huey Newton is killed. Yeah, sorry. Go
4: ahead. I think that um, that's a really interesting point because in the the flashback sequence where we see um, Chaka's brother, I forget his name at the moment, but uh, Kilmonger's father, he talks about um, how the people there need, like, why they need the weapons and why he's do- why he's doing what he has done, and he mentions that their leaders have been killed, and it's just yeah. kind of a throwaway line. Or it could be seen as a throwaway line, but it, you know, based on the time period, as you're saying, that was in '92, so just a few short years after.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oakland's already been suffering from the murder of its major kind of uh, leadership, and, and in this particular community, and this idea that the the Black Panthers of Wakanda are going to come in and serve this role, and heal this, and fill this fill this void, and, and lead this spirit of these people. For me, it grounded the movie in a realism while at the same time, of course, suspending it in this fantastical. I loved how you called it a dreamscape because it's a dream, both in the sense of being something that's kind of imagined and subconscious and part of the collective subconscious, but also like a hope and something that people believe could happen in the future. Right. It's like Afrofuturism is both this like this fantasy from the 60s of like, well, what how can we reimagine our past? You know, the Sun Ra and and. Funk and and how can we like make our past and our heritage and our legacy this like powerful and beautiful and majestic thing as opposed to mm-hmm. what we sort of encountered as artists as not really fill, filling us as much as we might want to versus also the real possibility that in the future Africa is going to be highly technologically advanced and is going to be the center of global economic activity which seems fairly likely in the next century uh, even, based on projections.
4: Yeah. I think even the um, the the viewpoint of. You know, you're looking at this fictional land that was never colonized. It just was allowed to do its thing, um, and then you also have the the blessing of this technology that they were gifted with, with this um, this meteorite that struck them, and they were just allowed to deal with it. But if you, um, you know, if you're looking at the comics, they also have other resources that are in the land outside of having vibranium that they're able to sell. And it's just, I think that the the fact that they were able to be isolated in that way or just have that protection um, and keep themselves away from, um, you know, possible colonization or, you know, being able to refute aid and things and just grow as they were um, kind of destined to, I think that's, that's really powerful. I think that might be a thing that a lot of people, when they're watching the film, they, they really take from it because you're getting to see this beautiful landscape that is, very african uh and also you know very cool and technological is there anything about flying
3: when you're flying in and he says this never gets old i feel like (laughs) (laughs) that was kind of prescient right like we're gonna watch this for the fifth time and be like yeah that never gets old um before we just leave killmonger though i thought it was interesting because he he is a very tragic character and like i would have loved to see him actually be king for a little bit Because he was the genius from the Well, he
0: wasn't... Yeah, I mean, if if there was a disappointment for me in the movie, it's that he was so... He had to be... There's so much stuff that goes on in these Marvel movies. Like, they're so packed full Mm -hmm. of plot that a little bit you need the characters, some characters to be... uh, (coughs) Very extreme, right? And I feel like there is a more moderate articulation of Killmonger's position that actually would be a legitimate challenge to the we should love everyone and get alongism, you know? Like, and that, because the, that's not the story historically, right? Like, and, Uh, and the, the sort of the oppression and suffering that he describes to the people sitting pretty in Wakanda is real. Right. And they don't have a good answer, uh, for his objection. And, but then by making him into a, so we have to burn the world down. So we have to kill, you know, kill everyone. And he's got the marks of like everyone he's killed on his chest. Like,
3: you they, you they only mention that briefly, but that kind of puts him like squarely in villain category, right?
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly where he's yeah where he's kind he's of like mark, rel- serial killer, yeah, kill that? Uh, yeah, mean, <laughs> you know. But like that 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 like if he had not been if he had not been so extreme a. Uh, if he had not been so extreme in that category and, and like, yeah, he did. There wasn't time (laughs) to really delve into the philosophy. I feel like there was enough. There was enough politics and I hope we can get to some of it because it's very interesting. Um, but like in, in the movie, but I, I almost wish that character and the point of view of that character was given a little more, uh, was given a little more airtime, you know?
2: Yeah. One of the really interesting things about Killmonger is his sort of sense of identity, which is both broad and kind of fluid. That, first of all, I mean, he he identifies as Wakandan. He's very proud. There's the very moving part at the end where he just wants to see the sunset, which he always heard is the most beautiful. But at the same time, he has... I thought well, uh, sort of a very interesting and telling moment early on is when they're doing the, the heist at the British Museum and he goes to take the mask at the end mm-hmm. and uh, and Gollum is like, well, don't tell me that's Wakanda too. And he's like, no, it's not, but I'm digging it. And he I'm, sort of has a the sense that... Like, I'm feeling it, right? I'm feeling I'm it. Feeling <laughs> it. <laughs> and he, he has this... Uh, where is that? I think a lot of Wakandans are these purists, right? And, and, and I think Wakabi actually says... He doesn't want to take refugees in, right, because he's afraid you take refugees and they're going to bring their own problems in their own culture. And then the purity of our culture is going to be lost. And obviously, but of course, I mean, Killmonger, Eric, he he never has that purity to begin with. Right. He's always he's half American. He uh, he has this Wakandan heritage, but he grows up in America. He's taught by the CIA. He goes to other countries and, like, destabilizes governments all over the world. And so that he has this globalist view just because of the way he was raised.
0: Right. And, and sees – yeah, right. Sort of almost sees more a people, like a global people, right, rather than, rather than sort of national – uh, national boundaries. Just, like, like
3: it's a throwaway that the CIA had clearly destabilized, like at least four or five governments in the
0: last few years. I mean, that's like, a, it's just kind of tossed out and left there. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, we're course. just we're just going. You know, we go in at election time. You know, pick off a few key people and uh, let the let the chaos continue, right? Like, because that'll that'll prevent economic development and for for any real uh, rivals to our um you know to our economic, well, military, and cultural supremacy emerge. Keep in mind that at this point, the American government is at least partially run by
1: Hydra, right, during this whole Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Hey, Yeah? Yeah? Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting, just to marvel it out just for one second, it's interesting that Eric talks about the spies who are in New York and London and Hong Kong because these also correspond to locations where Doctor Strange's secret brotherhood lives. Mm-hmm. The stations of defense against extraterrestrial threats. And what is Doctor Strange's group than a similar sort of influencer to Wakanda. People who have this advanced capability, who have an attitude and a predisposition towards external threats, but don't invite the rest of the world in to, and don't also extend their help outward to that part in the middle. It's like, we know who is a danger to us. We know who's sort of in our league, but we don't care about all the people in the middle. And it's weird that Dr. Strange gets to do that without criticism, and Eric Killmonger doesn't. Right? Or, or, like, rather the Black Panther or Chikaka, t- T'Chaka doesn't. And Eric Killmonger is like, we should do it for everybody. And if he said the same thing in the Doctor Strange movie, it would be much more heroic and positive. But in this one, it's like not as positive. Um,
4: which yeah. I mean, I don't know yeah. how much time we have. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know how much time we have to get into uh, the, the racial differences that may or may not be um, accountable for that. You got all I will the say time you want. Is- uh, what I will say is that um, when you're bringing that up, it makes me remember the, again, the after credit scene where um, T'Challa kind of vaguely references the fact that, you know, we are more alike than we are different. I think that is it reference to all the aliens that we're now aware of in this universe? Um, and um, I personally wanted it to be more uh, specific about how it's kind of a prequel or uh, the the movie before infinity war, but you know, I'll take what we get. Um, but it, it is mentioned in there and it's, it would be interesting to see how they tie that particular knot together um, in the coming infinity war movie. Well, sure. It seems
3: like
1: Wakanda will feature prominently, right?
4: It looks like they're in the trailer, but I mean, based on what I remember of of Civil War, um, way too many characters that didn't get nearly enough time, um, and there are even more of them in Infinity War. So unless they're doing this as a two-parter, I'm...
0: Well, oh, I think it, I think it is a two parter, and I think each movie is slated to be twelve to fourteen hours long. So
4: yes.
0: you know, it's you can definitely get those things. Okay, last last thought on Killmonger before uh, before we before we move on, um, that uh, he has some similar biographical details. He's about about the same age, born around the same time, and from the same place as the director Ryan Coogler. Uh, mm-hmm. so he's, uh, I, I, and you know, that's, uh, not only, um, uh, not only the connection to the historical Black Panther Party, but also the connection to the, the director's own life, like mm-hmm. is an inter- is an interesting thing. And, and it, it's another one of those things that, that leads me to think, Hey, we should be taking, we should be taking him and his, his point of view, um, his point of view seriously, rather than uh, uh, you know, ra- rather than just kind of dismissing him as a uh, as a you know death happy villain out of hand. Um,
1: uh, That's sort of like uh, the the it's like Paradise Lost, Matt. The Blakeian reading of Paradise Lost, which is the idea that John Milton writes Paradise Lost from the perspective of the devil. And it, and it represents his own sort of revolutionary aspirations from his youth. And, and then this could be some, somewhat similar in that the director is directing it from the perspective of Killmonger.
0: I think the, and, Blake's, Blake's point was that Milton was a poet, and so he was of the Devil's Party, uh, whether yeah. he wanted to be or not. Right. That, right. like, any any sort of creative, you know, any sort of creative person is, yeah, is in some sense in rebellion against, um, well, their parents to start. <laughs> Uh, let, can, can we talk about this a little bit as a, um, let, let's talk about a little bit this sort of, uh, the politics of this story, because I, I get the sense, I can't speak with any kind of authority on this, but I get the sense that that, well, I, there are, there are a couple of things happening here. One is that this is an American movie and I think it has an American point of view, right? And the comics were originally kind of American comics and they were not, uh, and so the view. I wonder, you know, uh, w- w- what a more global perspective on the view of like Africa uh, as like one thing, right? When it's in fact an enormous landmass with with, uh, you know, uh, many many different cultures kind of uh, spread spread out, right? You can't can't talk about. Um, I mean, look, I, I live in Los Angeles. You can't talk about a Los Angeles point of view on everything. It's not all paleo diet and, uh, you know, crystal hugging, um, Only my neighborhood, but the, uh, you know, that, uh, and then this is a movie that has to perform globally, right? Because when you have these multi hundreds of millions of dollar, uh, Marvel extravaganzas, they, they have to travel to overseas territories, um, In this case, it was usually it's a uh, Chinese co-producer so that the movie can get entry uh, into that market without having to go through the quota system. In this case, it was a a South Korean um, co-producer and financing partner. Right. And so there was that Uh, like there's this sense in which these are these are global movies. Can we reflect on this movie (laughs) as an American movie or a global movie? movie, Does it have a limited point of view, or does it somehow transcend that and incorporate more points of view uh, into the way it tells its story?
4: I think there there have been a couple of things that have that I've read um, recently about that, and there's there's so many points of view on this. I mean, you have everything from the fact that um, the the heroes are all very much the Wakandan nobility and the, the black people that you see that are American, the African-Americans either they don't say much or they're, they're literally the villain. So you have, I don't even know the name of the character of um, Killmonger's girlfriend for, you know, three scenes Mm -hmm. that um, helps with some of the schemes and then eventually is kind of done away with in a bid for Killmonger to get what he wants. Um, But in the comics, she has a much larger role and she's slated to be a genius. And I think in the, in the movie, she might've gotten 10 lines, um, if that, or maybe it's 10 words, I'm not sure. Um, And then you have the people who are ecstatic that, you know, it's showing African nations in a positive light and even the way in which the the dress, the um, accents that were used, um, and the, you know, hairstyling—that all of those things all harken to different regions and tribes in Africa, and that was a thing that people really, um, really took from it as a as a positive thing. Of you know, look how they're 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 showing all of these different types of. I don't know, Africanness, I guess to say, just by showing different tribes. You know, you have Kenya represented, you have Ghana represented, um, you have some Ethiopian tribes represented, and it's just a, a beautiful kind of mix of all of those things. Um, so it really is interesting. And then on the flip of the the first point I had made, you have all of the female characters that are Wakandan that are very, very strong in their different ways. And um, you have Lupita Nyong'o's character, Nakia as a, a ethical um Keystone there. And then you have General Koya, uh, the Daniel, um, Daniel. I just lost her last name, but um, the the general for the for the Dora that was you know leading in her particular point of view and having them as really strong and different characters that weren't stereotypes at all. Um, and then even when we get into looking at Killmonger, there's the there's the the balance of yes he was radicalized and he had this point of view because of the way in which he was raised um, and how that may or may not be a stereotype, how that may or may not have been viewed differently if it wasn't that particular character and that particular skin but then you also have the scene where uh after he takes the the heart-shaped herb and goes to the ancestral plane he goes to see his father and they are cut off from the other ancestral plane that everyone else all the other panthers are in and there's a there's a dialogue about how they are lost um and as a nigerian american that is a phrase that I've heard before. The concept of, you know, not being in the country where your parents are from and being taken away of, from that, and having a different culture um, kind of seep into you, and that that fear of losing people, and um, even the way that it was so strongly um, mentioned when when T'Challa found out, and he's accosting his father in ancestral pain that why did you leave him there, you know, and understanding that you caused this to happen because you broke that tie. I think that's that's something that um, Africans might see from one particular perspective and African-Americans might see from a completely different perspective. um, And I feel like I'm kind of stuck in the middle understanding both. So there's a lot there, I think.
0: Yeah, it's uh, right. And I think it's, I I don't know. It's just, I keep going by, I I keep trying to like pin this movie down and I think it's a strength of the movie that you can go to it for a number of things and, and find it there. Because we haven't even talked about, it's a, you know, kick-ass action movie as well, with some great fighting from a lot of people. Right. It seems like a little bit like the, the least interesting, um, part of it from the point of view of, of, uh, overthinking it. But, um, You know, but is is a a reason I think that it's it's made, you know, 17 trillion dollars this weekend and is, you know, has tripled the gross national product of, you know, I don't know, the top five countries in the developed world or something like that. I don't know. This movie is is taking over the world. What is it? Fifth best opening weekend all time? Yeah, Yeah.
1: just this and the Avengers. The Avengers is the only Marvel movie that
0: opened bigger than uh, than this. I mean, we still
4: have time for opening weekend.
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, I know we're not yeah we're not even done and it's a it's a uh, uh, it's a three day weekend as well right it's
2: safe to say that people this movie feels a need right that there was a lot of hunger out there for this
0: movie <laughs> sure well yeah, it 's it's so interesting, like just on the point of view of of strategy and corporate strategy, right like releasing this into february where you 're usually putting out the trash as a movie studio right like and having this you know world beating uh, incredible opening um, like uh, with with this creative team, this cast and it 's not it 's not a like uh, this time of year, you get uh, Oscar movies, like you get "Eat Your Vegetables" movies, right? And though there is great richness and depth, there's not—you're not being sort of told to eat your vegetables because this. Uh, um, this thing is is good for you you know um
3: it was as, good for us but we did finish a large tub of popcorn while we were eating it. like it's still a popcorn movie and an
0: excellent one yeah it was <laughs> also i mean also our theater was like super our theater was super into it like was oh, yeah. was cheering uh cheering the good guys loved uh a lot of the burns like the you know great you know sort of great attitude from the characters which was sort of appreciated by our um uh, by the crowd that we saw yeah. it with, Bakley uh, was great, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, Claw was
3: great. Yeah, like, Claw was really Claw fun, was fun for the few scenes he had. Yeah, I absolutely. really appreciated how Claw
1: was a shameless appropriator, and that's part of what made him villainous. Is that he had like a rap SoundCloud channel, and he like he talked about making it rain, and it's just like little touches like that where I was like, "Yup, he's a jerk. <laughs> he's a villain for this movie who needs yeah. to get killed."
0: He appropriated. Uh-huh. He appropriated his hand from the Chitari or something, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> from the Wakandans, right? Or did, was oh, it? Oh, uh, right. No, that was from the that was that from was the heist. Yeah. yeah, that was that was from the the vibranium that that he stole. It's. It, it, I mean, in Infinity Wars, there's there's like. Like, in the other Marvel MCU movies, there's, like, there's technology from the Chitari, there's technology, if you watch, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the Kree uh, that they get. And, like, this is, the, the Wakandans seem to represent the only sort of... Home, uh, only terrestrial force capable of producing any kind of defense uh, to that—that that will make a dent in the Infinity Wars, right? Like that—that uh, that they're the—that they're the only thing we got going as a, as human beings on Earth, right? Like, surely yeah, an armored they rhinoceros Star, is, yeah.
3: is all that can take Thanos out. Same, I'm like, uh. like I'm really <laughs> hoping Thanos versus armored <laughs> rhinoceros is a thing that we. Can see.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah armored armored rhinoceroses were um were really great uh well Shian, thank you very much for joining. We appreciate you taking the time and uh come back on the overthinking of podcast anytime you want to talk about anything
4: yeah thanks for having me and I definitely would appreciate it
0: <laughs> so one thing common to a lot of like sci fi uh a lot of sci-fi is that there's, um, an aristocratic, aristocratic class, like the Jedi or something like that. And, and as a genre, you know, sci-fi, I think is open to the criticism that it is, um, you know, politically a little retrograde because it's, it's generally about the chosen and the chosen being good. And this is the case. With Black Panther as well, right? Like, not only are the Wakandans kind of the chosen among all the people on the Earth, and they, like, so chosen, in fact, that they have to have a secret force field to keep their chosenness uh, from prying eyes, but also they're ruled by... Uh, an aristocratic class, uh, with a hereditary king, but, uh, and an, he's an enlightened monarch, but it's whoever happens to be the best at fighting on the day that, that challenge day, on the day that challenge day comes about and everyone like, you know, uh, walks through the tunnels to the waterfall and, uh, watches the ritual combat take place, right? And like, and we're cool. We're cool with this because this is tradition. This is. Um, this is how we've done things. Uh, on the other hand, there's a there's a sort of more populist view that's kind of, I, it's not expressed directly by a lot of the characters. Um, I don't know, Pete, I, I, what did you think of the politics of this movie? Not in the sense of politics of representation, uh, but in the sense of political systems depicted in this film.
1: I think it was a movie that showed political systems um, to a large extent as metaphors for spiritual systems okay which is both it sort of feels good but it also so it's weird because it's like it's also it's about the real world and i did mention before a bit how it's about the real black panthers and it's about real kind of liberation liberation movements but it's also about kind of battles of the soul like we talked a little bit about uh skin and and skin is of course really important in the challenge you've got killmonger with his skin covered in scars and you've got Uh, T'Challa with his skin covered in ceremonial paint. And so it's sort of like if there's almost like two versions of the same person and their fight with each other is almost like uh, what person like what sort of what is the what is the sort of person that that takes control of this political system? How do they how do they sort of actualize themselves as a human being? Uh, And in that sense, it's like but I think the monarchies fall for this, too. Or not fall for it, but monarchies participate in this, too. The idea that a sovereignty has an identity and that the identity of the sovereign is something that's sort of shared by the people who live under the sovereignty. Like you could say that Queen Elizabeth has a certain sort of way of living in her skin that all of Britain, to an extent, participates into one degree or another. And, and is, is it politics? Is it spirituality? Is it because she's the leader of the church? Is it because she's a celebrity? Uh, it, what is it about kind of the queen of England that incorporates being English in the same way that the king of Wakanda incorporates being Wakandan. Uh, I mean, we all we've certainly seen in America what it's like to have a head of state who has a really strong personality that then kind of uh, gets into the heads of everybody who lives there.
0: You're speaking, speaking, of course, of Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yes, of
1: course. Bully. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Speak softly and and carry an axe made of vibranium. Right. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think about it? What do you guys think about the politics? Because for me, it's tough to distinguish between the personal side of the politics and the institutional side of the politics, except in so far as much as to go into like the history of all the groups that are represented, which we sort of touched on
2: already a little bit. I mean, I think one of the interesting things going on is there's a conflict between the way the system, the rules of the system, the the way that you can technically make it work, and the way that, like, by tradition and 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 the sort of the sort of norms of the system. Because here's the deal: although technically it is a government in which whoever is the best at fighting gets to take over, I get the feeling that those challenges are very rare. That all yeah. the all the four tribes that are part of the Wakandan society. Basically, maybe going back, you know, centuries, don't challenge. And it's sort of like, it's almost like a a ritual that anybody could and nobody does. And that's how the government perpetuates itself. Now then, the guerrilla tribe shows up and does challenge. And I'm sort of, I'm curious what you guys think. I could believe that they do this every time there's a coronation. And this is like basically part of the way that, they're basically like a minority party. And they sort of take their shot at the throne every time and they lose every time. But they still—that's part of their tradition is that they're, they're at least going to throw their hat into the ring. I could also believe that like, they've never done this before, and it's only because of the sort of strange circumstances of the recent Marvel Universe that they sort of feel like, you know, now is the time for us to challenge.
3: You couldn't even protect your father is the line. Right. You
2: couldn't even protect your father. And so that's why we're taking this extraordinary step of actually taking advantage of something that's supposed to be just ceremonial. Yeah. Um, and then it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing that, that once Killmonger sort of sees control, there's this sort of conflict about like, well, do the people who sort of swore an oath to the throne, uh, do they just sort of say like, well, this guy's the king now. We have to obey him. Or are you sort of like, well, this is clearly not how the system is supposed to work. This guy is, is defying the sort of the spirit of Wakandan society, if not the letter of the law. We need to defy him. So it, it it says I I, mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I feel like there's a parallel to what's going on in the world now, what's going on in America now, to this sort of like like the system wasn't designed to be tested in this way, and how do you respond to these to these extreme challenges?
3: There's eventually a military coup, right? At first she's she's loyal, right, and she won't join the family in exile, but then at the end she's and then she flips Argentina. and she's like,
2: "This is too much." Even though technically you're the king, like like yeah, it's a military
3: coup. Right. So there's I mean. The 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 key point of all of it is when he accepts the challenge, right? Like, Killmonger's in their power. He could have just had him imprisoned or thrown out of the country, like, very easily uh, at the beginning. There was very little support for the challenge, and then, like, it's like...
0: The kind of one really stupid move that T'Challa makes is to accept the challenge. Yeah, but it's—I mean, it's important for his character, right? Like because it's about the movie is about sort of legitimacy, right? To to a certain extent, and and about uh, sort of finding finding worthiness, right? Like in the idea that like I'm not ready, and like I'm not, you know, who is the who is the real legitimate throne? And if you don't if you don't give the guy a chance, then there's a shadow hanging over your. Uh, your reign for the re- for the rest of your life, right? Like, yeah, and you're absolutely right. He could have done it. Uh, Wakabi would have been uh, would have been mad, but like, could have probably been brought around, especially with the pressure of the other tribes. Yeah. And you could just um, go get Claw somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll still we'll still get Claw. Uh, or no, sorry, you got Claw. Like, yeah. you know, be happy. Uh, but but this still, it it wouldn't be without kind of going. Going through going through the process, and it's it's interesting. I was like I was struck at the end by the, by uh, law and tradition, and the difference between law and tradition, and traditional institutions versus legally set up institutions, and in that they're, they're that they're both necessary and neither sufficient, right? Yeah. And that, like, uh, that it really, in order to have a kind of functioning society, there needs to be law uh, and there needs to be, and there needs to be tradition because the, the, um, you know, he said, uh, uh, like, because this was, the, the ritual wasn't just, like, it, it's not just going through the motions. It's also sort of a cover for, uh, for murder, right? In the case of uh, the, uh, Killmonger, Thinking that he's killed T'Challa, um, and definitely killing uh, the uh, Force Whitaker character Zuri, um, that the um, you know that the the uh, the ritual provides a kind of is a fig leaf over that uh, somehow, and that that's not. I mean, that's sort of not how that's supposed to work either. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because you say the legal and tradition. I would add the third leg to that stool is action. I think. Because I'm thinking about the Downton Abbey moment has got to be when he talks about how he doesn't free, he doesn't want to freeze like don't freeze because uh, he freezes in certain situations and hesitates and he even hesitates he has multiple opportunities in the fight with Killmonger uh, T'Challa does to kill Killmonger and he doesn't he pauses. And this is related to the scenes at the very beginning of the movie where he pauses and it almost costs people their lives. And it's interesting to think about how this relates to politics nowadays, too, where you have these institutions that aren't used to being tested. And what's supposed to happen in the moment when these institutions are tested is somebody is supposed to step up and take action. And it sort of seems like a bit of an indictment for people who against people who have institutional power but don't have the will to lead and don't take action. Uh, And this is sort of like what the aspect of Killmonger, what he brings in and what T'Challa learns from relating to him. Is the necessity of taking action when action is necessary. Right, because it's, it's
0: It's set up as a moral feeling of the previous leaders of Wakanda that they didn't respond to suffering or that they left Killmonger in Oakland, uh Tachaka yeah. did, right? Like that That these things are not good, right? That that they that, that I mean, I don't know, I could say that like inaction is a kind of action, deciding not to act is is uh is a sort of action, but actually the, the bias uh in the film is to prefer like doing something, you know, like do, do take the positive step rather than the kind of the negative step by restraining yourself.
1: And there's even it's even positioned to situations where what needs to happen is pretty clear. And it's less of a decision not to act than a than a moment of hesitation. That's interesting to think about the difference between deciding not to act and not deciding to act is uh, in like uh, hemming and hawing versus uh, sort of standing and waiting. To bring up Milton for the second time today, I guess he also serves who simply stands and waits. Uh, <laughs> that's not what the Black Panther's credo is. That's for sure. He's got to be jumping around and bouncing off of things
3: to leave Milton behind for the second time today. <laughs> um, the shepherds I found sort of interesting. Like we've got a, we've got a society where there's like clearly abundance. There's super maglev trains everywhere, but there's still like a peasant shepherd class. That we see a few times, often being like flown over, and one wonders like the economy of Wakanda
0: is not really explained. Like, are there? Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not exactly like rhinoceros pastoralists, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, where they they're where they're doing that for uh, the economic value. Yeah, I mean,
3: we see women like cooking pots and pots over fires. Like, not everyone is sharing in like the bead technology. (laughs) It's well. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they, they, they gotta eat they can't eat beads they could have like combine harvesters right like sure there's, there's
0: right i mean i think it, it's interesting and i i'm i'm not totally sure where i come down on this but what uh what seems to be especially in like i alluded to the design of the cities before i was specifically speaking of the things where you see like a bunch of people walking on a street and the street has grass on it, but then the buildings are super high-tech, right? And it's not like the street has been paved uh, and the buildings are super high-tech in, like, a Blade Runner-type future. It's, there is a kind of, um, there is a, a, a not-symbiosis, there is a kind of harmony between the the natural and the built environment that I think is supposed to signal how advanced they are, right? Like, they're, they're <coughs> advanced to the point that they're past technology for its own sake. They use the parts of it that enrich their lives, and and don't use the parts of it that are alienating or sort of dehumanizing. You know, they they also don't go around totally into their cell phones all the time, right? Like that's that's not. their, you know the children are running and I don't oh, know. No, there should have been a street scene where everybody had like the like three D person they're, sticking they're out, like their walking into, <laughs> yes. because they were looking at their holograms. Yeah, like exactly. Wakandan Wakandan FaceTime, right? And that that well, actually
2: you had a really interesting observation about Wakanda, which is it seemed I don't know if this is an adjective,
0: but Roddenberryan. Oh well, right. Yeah, I mean, because right, this is this is the thing, and th- this is why I'm not sure where I, I come down on it because it seems a little idealized to to me, and uh, and that's there are you know in terms of the politics of representation, some like weird areas that you can get into there. But like the idea of Wakanda is that it's it's Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? Like that that hyperabundance of energy in the form of vibranium, right? Has made it uh, has. Made everyone um, has made everyone sort of wealthy and self-actualized, and they they trade things. And this, this is what I was going to say about the rhinoceros farmers, right? I think they were just completely self-actualized as rhinoceros farmers, right? Like they they were fulfilling They're the, the alpaca farmers of Wakanda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the
2: rhinoceroses, rhinocerai.
0: You know, okay. and and that uh, uh, that the um, you know the deep calling within them to raise. Uh, these noble beasts on the, you know, in, in surprisingly small pens was, uh, was being fulfilled by this. And that, that like they, if they had wanted to be, uh, scientists, they would be scientists instead. But this was like, this was where they were, this was where they were happiest. And this is the, this is the sort of Roddenberry and, uh, you know, next generation, Ian Universe, right? Where like Captain Picard is a starship captain, and his brother has a vineyard in France, right? And his, uh, you know, I don't know, and and uh, the head of stellar cartography plays the flute, you know, and like right, everyone like, every, and and the green grass grows all around, all around, in the streets hmm. between the buildings. Um, yeah, that that there was definitely this this idealized vision of it.
2: Um, so I, I, we were talking earlier about the plan, the, the evil plan that Killmonger has, which takes a while to put into action. And, and one of the answers I have for why the plan seems to be so convoluted is because they, they want to give the other plot lines time to germinate before he shows up. Because here's the thing, he's got the tattoo, so at any point... He could waltz into Wakanda and show them the tattoo, and they'd let him in the door. Now, he can't be sure what's going to happen to him then, because he knows that some dudes from Wakanda killed his dad. Um, and so that you, you have to sort of reverse engineer the plot line from the point where he's fighting T'Challa, and he says, like, everything I've done has led up to this moment, has been necessary to make this opportunity possible. So... One thing you could say about him is like, okay, he knows he's got to be really good at fighting. Like, let's assume that he's heard enough about Wakandan culture to know that he can challenge for the throne when he can waltz into Wakanda. So he he gets really good at fighting, but then that's still not enough. So he he says, okay, what I need to do is I need to get my hands on Claw, and then I can bring Claw in, and that's sort of going to be that that'll get everyone's attention, and then I can challenge for the for the throne. But that's still not enough. That what he actually wants to do is make contact with Claw. Have Claw do something stupid to attract the attention of the Black Panther, and then to foil the Black Panther's attempt to to get him. Basically, to make the Black Panther look bad, and then to show up with Claw, and so that he literally creates a situation where the Black Panther almost catches Claw, and then he helps Claw escape, so he could be the one to bring Claw in and and immediately divide the council because he could just be like, "Look, I got the guy that you couldn't." And so now you've got to pay attention to me.
0: I mean, does that seem right to everybody? You, you will always remember this as the day that you almost captured Ulysses' claw. I was going to say Gollum, but yes. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, but I also, I also like my first explanation, which is that they need just need more time for the other plot lines to germinate before he shows up and challenges for the throne. Because they appear to steal the
3: vibranium hammer just to sell it and make money.
0: Yeah. That's,
2: that's yeah, the Yeah, and that's
0: mostly so that they'll pop up on the radar of whoever is watching right. them, Right. That, that he helps Claw
2: steal the vibranium hammer knowing that the Wakandans will immediately show up. Actually, you know what? I, there might be even more to it because he's connected with the CIA. So does he actually have very specific knowledge that Ross is immediately going to try to apprehend Claw?
3: It's possible.
2: You know, I'm not sure. At what point does killmonger decide not to work for the government anymore is it like five minutes before this movie starts
3: no i think said be. he's been a mercenary for a while okay sorry Pete. Oh, I,
1: was gonna, I was gonna say also we have to keep in mind that that t'chaka dying in captain america civil war has to be a trigger for killmonger's action because he's only going to get probably one shot at challenging for the throne of Wakanda at the peak of his physical condition. So T'Chaka didn't die of an illness. He was assassinated. In in by Zeno, i think i forget exactly who did it yep. but uh because captain america civil war kind of blurred by for me a little bit but yeah but you have to think that maybe he had a longer term plan but he had to s- step up his timetable because he knew that the death of the old monarch necessitated that he move forward now i guess maybe well,
2: wait a second wouldn't it be way better to enact his plan when the old guy is the black panther because I don't the, think you get to just challenge whenever you have to challenge when
1: the new King is named, right? Or do you well, get to when challenge? We get, whenever? Within
2: what? A week or two of when the
4: new King is in the ceremony. <laughs> is, is there a, a, a King's
1: mood situation where like he was a claimant who had the right to challenge, but you're saying that this is pretty much a constant situation that like several months before this movie takes place, the gorilla guy came down and the old man beat him up. Uh, and he had to do this like regularly every six months in order to maintain authority. In right. that case, his job really requires some very specific skills.
2: This raises an interesting question, which is that like, has, was the old king dressing up in a suit, running around doing covert ops, like pretty much up until he got blown up at the United Nations? Or is it like basically like they haven't needed a Black Panther who actually like springs into
0: action and beats people up for decades at this point? Well, I think he does spring in, you know, I think he does probably spring into action, but they had been non-interventionist. Up to that point, so he's probably in in action around Wakanda, you know, protecting the borders. I don't know, scaring off the the gorilla tribe. Uh, the um, right that 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 that's uh, kind of the limit of, of his activity. And it's the murder it's the murder of, of T'Chaka that kind of brings the Black Panther out to uh, you know to to. But play, you got the sense
3: in Civil War that the black that T'Challa had been the Black Panther for a while, like right. Like, stepping in for his dad as his dad got older. Like, that wasn't the first time he put on the suit. If, if so, he so was why. very good at using it. Yeah, he'd been practicing <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, th- he
2: leaps to try to save his dad during the
1: assassination with a superhuman speed and agility. So right. he's either done something or he's been eating his Wheaties.
0: Yeah, well, so, he has. Okay. A, I mean, it's not like he goes back to Wakanda, uh, you know, drinks the plant, has his vision, be- gets the strength of the Black Panther. Uh, you also, know? is he
3: the last Black Panther? Because they've burned the plant. I assume that needs to be addressed in a possible.
2: So they could dig up another. Oh, one there's not
0: in a possible sequel. Like there's no way there's not a sequel to this movie. Right. This this movie made uh, made the the combined economic output of planet Earth times seventeen <laughs> this weekend. You know. I mean, here's an
2: interesting question: why, why does Killmonger want all the plants burnt? What is what is he trying to accomplish there?
1: So nobody else can challenge him, right? Yeah. Or is so, he just trying to destroy? The old legacy of Wakanda, as well.
3: He's burning tradition down, right? Like, there's the shot of him with the fire all around him. Like, that's. I think that was the reason they wanted that shot with the fire all around
2: him. Yeah, no, that's a cool shot. But at the same time, even though Killmonger doesn't have any kids, that we know about, although that's certainly something that you got to put on the table in a possible sequel. But. You, well that would that would be more
0: or less the same story, though, right? Like, yeah, I suppose
2: it would be. Not not that that's never happened before in the history of comic book movies, but the idea of of a legacy is something that's got to be foremost on his mind. He knows that his dad wanted him to care, you know, to 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 be part of this. Like he doesn't seem like somebody who wants to who wants to be the last Black Panther. He wants to, you know, change the game. I don't know. I'm 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 curious if he. This goes back to our, our earlier thing, which is that like, if he had, if we had got a chance to see him be king, what would he have done? Um, hmm. Besides besides Hong Kong and London and New York would have bad days.
3: Right. right. Pete, I, like your, I like your theory about the Hong Kong, New York, London thing being where where Doctor Strange is. I think they're just the three largest like movie markets. In the world, <laughs> is my theory? So it's you're saying that
1: Killmonger would make a series of action films? Yes. About
3: himself? Yes.
1: There it is. I also <laughs> like,
3: we're regretting the death of Killmonger, but like it is a comic book movie. Like Killmonger will be back in Return of the Black Panther three. <laughs> Like, because of the liver-shaped herb that they find next to the heart-shaped herb that brings him back from life. I just
1: think it would be really interesting to reanimate if, like, some evil guy reanimated Killmonger with, say, an Infinity Stone or something, because then Killmonger would be a slave. And he would be a prime candidate for rebelling against servitude. So he, so I'm just saying, is if you're looking to make zombies out of dead Marvel villains, he is a high risk choice. (laughs) So uh, because I can totally see that story spinning out in that direction. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you guys do. Although it would be real. Although his death is so great, it would be nice for it just to sort of stay as it is
0: yeah uh, and yeah. and not well and and also we didn't really talk about the acting but i think we can just say blanket like really fantastic performances all around from pretty much everybody uh yeah. across the board in this movie right mm-hmm. All right. Well, it might be time for this podcast to be buried uh, underneath a blanket of snow or red earth uh, and uh, go into the astral plane. For
2: like a minute. And yeah. It'll, a week <laughs> later, it'll pop back out. Right.
0: Exactly. If you would like to communicate with us in the astral plane, you can send an email to podcast at com or leave a comment on the show notes For this episode, the Overthinkers will return in the next episode of the Overthinking It podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.
2: You know what? I, you know what I thought of in the movie when that happened because, uh, like, Pete, you know a, a deep fandom for The Rock, and so when yeah. they're, they're like, "Tell him who you are." I was like, "I am Hercules <laughs> from from the very disappointing uh, Rock Hercules movie." I loved that movie. Did you it see was, that? movie? It
3: was pretty disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Right? No. <laughs>